the last podcast, I had somebody ask me a question about Bernie Sanders. I didn't have an opportunity to give it the attention that it deserved, the, the question. So I wanted to talk about Bernie Sanders. Last election, I don't remember what I said about this last time, so I'm just going at it. Uh, last election, 2016, I, I voted for Bernie Sanders. Originally, I, before any of this stuff came out about Hillary and being as crooked as she is and all that other stuff, I just kind of assumed that she was going to run because she had run four years earlier, and she was the only Democratic candidate that I had assumed was going to run or that I knew was going to run at all at that point. So I was just kind of waiting for a liberal candidate to come forward, and until further notice, I was prepared to vote for Hillary Clinton. This is like 2014 basically. End of 2014, early 2015. And then I hear about Bernie Sanders. I'd never heard of the guy before this. He appeared out of nowhere and gave this press conference right in front of like the, uh, what do you call it? Right in front of the Senate buildings and everything. I think he's a senator, not a House member. Yeah, he's a senator from Vermont, I think. Well, anyway, he gives his speech right out in front of the buildings and just everything he said in that speech just hit home with me. I was like, yes. I mean, all of this is so legit. He's talking about billionaires running the government and money controlling politics and how this is an unsustainable system where we can't have this type of distribution of wealth because the system isn't going to survive if we continue doing this. It has to change or the economy is going to collapse. That's the bottom line. It's just like there are a lot of issues with the economy that need to be solved, that have to be solved. I know that some people want to maximize freedom and things like that, and that's all fine and good. I can get on board with a lot of libertarian ideals, honestly. I fall on kind of the libertarian side of the spectrum a little bit, but the libertarian ideals in practice, don't always play out correctly. They don't always work. You know, once you kind of eliminate a lot of the regulations like libertarians would like to see and eliminate a lot of the taxes and kind of make the government smaller and smaller, somebody is going to step in and take control afterward, which is expected. I mean, that's expected. And it's going to be private companies. That's kind of how people expect an anarchist system to work. They don't expect there to be zero structure. Usually they expect there to be zero government, and a lot of the structure is created by private companies. But the problem is that at that point, there's just zero control over anything for the people. There's no way of, there are zero checks and balances, zero, because these private companies can come in and do whatever they want and not have to really face any consequences from it, as if they face consequences now. Uh, I mean, you know, you can say there are social consequences all you want. People say there would be backlash if these companies did something that people didn't like, then they'd stop supporting them, they'd boycott them, and that would keep these companies in check. But that isn't actually how it works in practice. Just look at BP and the big oil spill back, you know, whenever that was, 2012 or something. Uh, that company was negligent and caused this massive disaster, massive disaster that made a huge mess out of so much. And they're doing better now than ever. Social consequences like that cannot be relied upon. It's the bottom line. So there have to be regulations. I think in the late 90s, Bill Clinton, I think it was Bill Clinton, repealed something called Glass-Steagall, and that was um, basically a set of regulations that prevented big banks from gambling with your money. You're, as far as I understand, I may be getting this wrong, haven't researched it recently, that's my understanding, okay? Glass-Steagall... Uh, that's what it was. It was designed to prevent big banks from investing your money in, in risky uh, stocks and stuff like that. Well, Bill Clinton repealed that, 
because th that was kind of the cause of the Great Depression, or one of the causes of it. So that that's when it was instituted, was around the late 20s, early 30s, that kind of thing. FDR, I think, instituted it in the 30s. But uh, Bill Clinton repealed it, and time goes on, middle, 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 about seven years later, the economy starts doing really, really well, uh, all the way through like the, the dot-com bubble because of the internet. Um, you know, it, the economy did really well through that. Then George Bush came in and then he started wars or, or at least encouraged wars, whatever you want to say. And that helped the economy a lot too. And then around 2004, 2005, 6, 7, uh, you know, apparently it, it turns out big banks were taking these these mortgages and rating them triple A loans, meaning that they had a really high chance of paying the loans back when that was just BS. That, that It wasn't true. They were lying. They were selling them to these bigger banks as like really good loans, uh, really good loan packages. And when the people inevitably defaulted on their loans because they weren't triple A, they weren't very good loans, the banks had invested all this money and they got screwed and, and everything came crashing down in 2008 and it just turned into a huge mess. That's what happens when you repeal regulations that we need. I know that the, the libertarian goal is to get rid of all regulations and all government and all that stuff. Doesn't work in practice. It, it's a nice idea. Does not work. So anyways, back on track, as I was saying, it's unsustainable. Bernie Sanders came out and started talking about that. I, I had already known about all of this long before he ever started talking about it. I knew that in a credit-based economy where you loan and borrow, it goes in cycles. It goes in seven-year cycles and 70-year cycles of ups and downs, ups and downs, unless it's regulated, unless you have regulation in there to try to moderate the cycles a little bit. So in the 19, I think 1929, we saw the massive depression. Every 70 years, we'll see a massive drop, and every seven years, we'll see a little drop, usually, in this type of economy. It's unavoidable without regulation. So in the, in the 30s, we saw that massive drop. And then in 2007, or 2008, I think, we saw that massive drop, the Great Recession. Uh, people were saying we were supposed to see an even bigger drop in 2016. But yeah, we didn't really see one. And the economy seems to be growing. And then it, it just dips like real hard and then just goes right back up. I'm convinced that we're in a bubble right now. It's only a matter of time before the bubble bursts and the economy crashes hard, real hard. I thought it was crashing on December 24th when I saw the stock market lower on Christmas Eve than it's ever been. Uh, but no, uh, it, it shot back up. So I guess that bubble's still going strong. I, I really think it's only a matter of time. But anyway, I, you know, I don't think Bernie Sanders has all the answers. I don't think he's the smartest guy alive. I don't think he's the best alive, but I think he knows enough about how economics works and he's honest enough to do the job and do it well. I think he's the best as far as I'm concerned. So he's got my vote. And this is one more thing uh, on this before I move on. I voted for Hillary Clinton after Bernie lost. I didn't like it, but I did it. I didn't want... What, I didn't want the policies that Trump had to offer us. I didn't. I don't believe that having a president and a vice president in who purport to be religious extremists is beneficial for us. Now, Hillary Clinton is also kind of a religious extremist, but not anywhere near as extreme as Mike Pence, for example. Donald Trump and Mike Pence are by far more extreme in their policy positions than Hillary Clinton is. She's more of a moderate. And we can talk about crookedness or whatever else you want to talk about, but I'm just looking at policy right now, and that's why I voted for Clinton. So I'm going to vote for Bernie, and if he, he doesn't get the nomination, then I'm going to vote. I'll, I'll pick the next best person that isn't a religious extremist. Somebody sent me, unfortunately I don't have their name here. I'll, I'll put it in the description when I upload the uh, full podcast. But somebody sent me the FBI files for Heaven's Gate. So 
figured I'd give you guys a little bit of background on Heaven's Gate, because it's been like a really long time since I've done a video on them. Heaven's Gate was a group, I think there were a total of like 40 or maybe 41 people, or 42, somewhere in there. It's a really tiny number. And it was known as a UFO cult. So they had, it was a Christian cult mostly. They believed that Jesus Christ was real and that he appeared on earth 2,000 years ago and all that other good junk. But they were heavily influenced by Star Trek The Next Generation. Heavily influenced. Like, they had little logos for their church. You know, like Scientology has logos for their church. And Jehovah's Witnesses have JW.org logos. And, you know, every church has logos. Well, theirs looked almost exactly like the Star Trek Next Generation communicators. It was just like, you can see the level of influence that there was in this cult from Star Trek. So they were called the UFO cult because they believed that the Hale-Bopp comet, I think in like 1996, was coming around, it's gonna pass by Earth. They believed there was a spaceship behind it. It was following behind it so we couldn't see it. And it was gonna pick people up, pick up their souls, and fly away with them, bring them to the next evolutionary level above human quote-unquote. That's what they called it. It was basically heaven, pretty much, but it wasn't heaven exactly. It was like it was still in space, but the, the leader, Doe, was a really interesting guy. I, I mean, his real name was Marshall Applewhite, but he went by Doe, as in the musical scale, T. Doe, uh, and he had a female partner, not a wife, but a partner, who worked with him, and she called herself T. She believed herself to be God, and he thought that he was Jesus. So what happened was around 96, I, I think they made a couple of failed predictions, but their final prediction was around 96. And Actually, I can pull up their website real quick. I might as well. I think it's heavensgate.com. Yeah, this is their website. It's still up. So what happened was in 96... They put, a, I think it was like a dollar twenty-five in their pockets each. Each of them had a dollar twenty-five. I think that was the amount. There were thirty-nine of them in this big house. This basically what amounts to a mansion with like multiple rooms. Thirty-nine people, and they on one night, or actually, I think it was during the day, took some applesauce and some. What was it? I don't remember what the chemical. Um, Oh, it was sleeping pills. It was, they took some applesauce, some sleeping pills. 20 of them crushed up the sleeping pills, put it in the applesauce, mixed it up, gave it to the other 19 people. And then they ate it, laid down in bed, tied a bag around their own heads. So this is 100% consensual. Tied bags around their own heads and fell asleep. And the other 19 people were going up and down the rows, watching, making sure that they were all suffocating. And, sorry, this is really dark. And then the other 19 people, when they died, the other 19 ate applesauce, tied bags around their own heads, and died too. With a dollar twenty-five in their pockets for space fare. They were supposed to, their souls were going to rise up into the spaceship and somehow the dollar twenty-five was going to come with them. I don't know, but that's what happened. And shortly after they died, somebody called the police and said, "I think this cult just committed suicide." So the police show up, and they see what's happening. They see all these dead bodies lying around. Doe is dead on the bed. Everybody is dead. And this person had called anonymously. Well, come to find out, the person who called was left behind the, intentionally. So Heaven's Gate, the cult, planned for this person to be left behind, stay on Earth, to maintain their intellectual property and things like that, and continue running their website and selling their books. And that is why this website is still up. Because the, the one guy who is left behind has been running it ever since hasn't changed it at all just keeps paying the bill every month he was he 
received the deed to the mansion that they lived in and everything, all of the rights to everything. And I emailed him when I first did the video on my channel. It's a really old video. I'd like to redo it. But I emailed him and talked to him and asked him questions and said, what do I have to do to join? Just trying to get a little information from him, figure it out, because it seemed really interesting. He said there's no original member on Earth anymore, so nobody can join. There's no more joining. Original member being either Doe or T, one of the two leaders. It's a really short-lived cult. So, yeah, really, really fascinating stuff. It's really sad, sad story. They did these exit interviews. Each one of them, each of the 39 people did an exit interview. It's basically like a 30-minute video each, and I watched all of them. It took me days and days to get through every single one of them, but I watched them all. And they were basically just goodbye videos to their family members. It was so sad and so fascinating. They were happy. They weren't sad. They weren't crying. They were elated. It's just so heartbreaking how these people can get so pulled into this stuff. But anyway, that's the, that is Heaven's Gate. That's the, the Heaven's Gate cult. Uh, you can go to their website still and look at all this stuff. Really fascinating, but... I got my hands on the FBI documents, haven't really looked at them yet. I just wanted to take a quick glance through them, see what they have to say. On March 26, 1997, 39 bodies were located on an estate in Rancho Santa Fe, California. As news articles have disclosed, all individuals participated in a mass suicide relating to a cult known as Heaven's Gate. Subsequent to discovery of these 39 bodies by the San Diego Sheriff's Office, the San Diego County Medical Examiner's Office has attempted to identify the next of kin and has been unsuccessful in doing so with 15 decedents. Each of the 39 decedents had identification on their body to include such items as individual social security account number, driver's license, passport, and date of birth. The identification of the next of kin of the above noted 15 individuals is essential to allow for appropriate notification. It is requested that the Social Security Administration locate the Social Security uh, Form SS-5 pertaining to each of the 15 listed individuals to assist in the identification of the next of kin. A listing of the decedent's names and corresponding identifications have been forwarded to the Social Security Administration by separate cover. Your assistance and cooperation in this matter is most, appreci I'm sorry, most appreciated. Sincerely yours, John F. Lewis, Jr., Assistant Director in charge national security division so that was i guess u.s department of justice federal bureau of investigation sending a letter to the social security administration to get names and next of kin for these people who died for 15 of them who didn't have next of kin listed and then we have a second paper here i i'm not 100 percent clear on what this is what this first page is here it's just got like a bunch of numbers deleted pages no duplication fee for this page okay i guess it's just listing deleted pages apparently but yeah it says universal case file number it lists a case file number date received 4397 so actually i bet that they died in 1997 uh like april 97 is probably when it happened maybe march title heaven's gate 81 three and a half by three and a half floppy disks to be processed at FBI computer center. I'm trying to read like each significant thing for those of you who may not be watching, but are listening on the podcast on like iTunes or something, Spotify, but it's just like, it's just paperwork, universal case file number, field office, acquiring evidence, serial number of originating document. So I guess it's like, it's just describing everything and it's evidence sheets and everything. Okay, here's its personal information. I'm going to have to cut this out of the eventually because these are social security numbers and stuff. But legal names, Moore, David Jeffrey, uh, Butcher, Cheryl, Elaine, McCormick, Joel, Peter. Uh, just a list of everybody. So sad that this stuff happened to these people. A lot of the time when people are in cults, we look at them and we're like, they're they're stupid they must be stupid to believe this stuff right but that's not accurate that's not true i i'm not stupid 
and I believed it for like a really long time. I believed in my my cult. I don't think intelligence has anything to do with it. I think it I don't think intelligence has anything to do with religiousness or any of that. I think sometimes I think Seth Andrews said it best. Sometimes the smartest people are the best at coming up with explanations and excuses to keep themselves indoctrinated in extremist religions. I don't think it has anything to do with intelligence. I just feel so bad for these people that this happened to them, that they were so suckered into this so thoroughly, you know. Potato, do you have any uh, questions for me? I've got a few that we can ask. Okay. Uh, first up, Fetus Elitist asks, have you ever been in a reprogramming situation before with a religious person? And do you think uh, you brought anybody into the religion during your time as a JW? Mm. I don't think I brought anybody in. No, I don't believe I did. I We were looking at statistics recently, and I think it's like it takes 10,000 hours of door knocking or letter writing or phone calling or whatever, evangelizing. It takes about 10,000 hours of evangelizing for a Jehovah's Witness to bring in a new Jehovah's Witness on average. That means if they're just doing their regular thing 10 hours a month or something or 12 hours a month, which is the bare minimum that they expect from you, then eighty every 80 years, somebody will bring somebody new in. My mom brought in a few people herself, but nobody in the past 20 years probably, or 10 years maybe, just because the internet is getting bigger now and it's easier to find information and and all that stuff. As far as deprogramming, I think, was the question. Um, A lot of people have this conception of deprogramming. So there's something called NLP, or Neuro Linguistic Programming. Neuro Linguistic Programming is... Basically, subliminal messaging. So it's manipulating people's psychology to get them to do something that you want them to do. You find it in advertising sometimes. It's it's pretty common in sales, like you know, car salesmen and things like that will learn NLP to get people to buy cars more often and things like that. I don't use NLP. Stephen Hassan does not use NLP either in his in his deprogramming. And if you guys don't know who that is, he he pioneered a lot of the stuff that I talk about, the bite model and and all kinds of other stuff in this book called Combating Cult Mind Control. He has his own method of deprogramming. I don't use his method. I use a different method called street epistemology. Uh, but he came up with his own method and it doesn't include neuro-linguistic programming, subliminal messaging, and neither does street epistemology. He doesn't use NLP because he feels like it's amoral. It's kind of wrong to manipulate people like that, and it doesn't. Ma- it makes him no better than cults, right? And I kind of feel the same way. I don't want to manipulate anybody. I want to... My method of deprogramming people is to work with them and find common ground and address their beliefs and ask if they're reasonable, compare them to other uh, situations and ask, do you think that your logic would hold up in this situation? Try to find logical fallacies and point out where they'd fail in other situations in a non-confrontational way. And you usually have to do that a bunch of different times. You have to have conversations like that five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times over the span of weeks, months, it's not easy to do. It's not easy to move somebody away from religions or cults. It's not something that you do in a day. It takes a lot of time and work. So, Anyway, uh, yeah, do you have another uh, question for me? Uh, sure. Uh, from Glenn, he was asking if you had any thoughts. Do I have any thoughts on what? The Green New Deal? The Green New Deal. I have not heard of that. I know what the New Deal is. That was a deal in, I think, in the 30s. FDR was trying to, um, I think he was he was using the government as the employer of last resort where 
there was basically no there you know everybody was out of work it was like 20 percent unemployment or something like that because of the great depression so he came up with the new deal where they rebuilt infrastructure i think 23 percent. sorry uh i think that they i think that's what the new deal was originally in the 30s i would like to see that now too for sure that would be fantastic i don't know about the green new deal i assume what that is is trying to build green technology or clean energy technology uh, and employing millions of people in the process that would be my guess i would love to see that that would be fantastic i would love to see our infrastructure rebuilt too they're actually i guess my city just voted that they were going to replace all of our pipes and pull out the old lead ones now in 2019 they're doing this and they're right outside my window doing this but you know what i can't complain they're they're doing it i'm happy that's all i can say about it you know anyway do you have another question for me sure uh glenn was also asking how i'm sorry i lost you again glenn was asking what how alpha force zero is doing oh yeah, Alpha Force Zero is doing good, doing well, sorry. She's actually with her grandma tonight. She just left probably 30 minutes before the pa- the before I joined the podcast, yeah. She usually stays with her grandma on Sundays, so it's pretty cool, though. Yeah, she's doing well. She's reading Harry Potter right now for the first time. Her mom bought her, like, this giant, like, book set or whatever. So, yeah, she's been reading that. She got through half of the first book in, like, the first day. It was insane. She's just reading really quickly. It's impressive. One more thing. I wanted to talk about street epistemology and how challenging it is to keep people from locking into their positions. It's it's really difficult, but I honestly think that street epistemology is the best way to do it. Like I said earlier, Stephen Hassan has his own method of deprogramming people. And he doesn't like to use the term deprogramming. I think he says exit counseling or something, but people usually understand what I'm talking about a little bit more clearly when I say deprogramming, I think. So that's the term that I use. But anyway, he has his own method for deprogramming and I understand the method that he uses. And, and I, I do incorporate parts of it into what I do I guess I don't I don't fully do street epistemology. It's a little bit different, but street epistemology really is more of a movement to try to move conversation in a more uh what's the word I'm looking for? Trying to move conversation toward a more civil route. So the old atheist community has a reputation for being a little bit aggressive and angry and causing issues with people. Street epistemology is moving things in a more civil direction, and I can respect that so much. That's why I talk about street epistemology as much as I do, but it's got lost potential in deprogramming, and that's why I talk about it in the context of deprogramming. Because it can be used to change people's minds. Uh, not, but the, okay, I, we are late, but I feel like this is a really important point to make. The end result of street epistemology is critical thinking and logic. You can't use it to convince somebody of something that's illogical, really. You can talk them out of believing something illogical but you can't talk them into doing something and that is really where that's really where ethics come into it okay nlp a neuro-linguistic programming like i was talking about earlier it can be used for immoral purposes it can be used to convince somebody of something that is untrue but street epistemology it just is not set up that way that's not what it's all about it's not possible to use that pure method to convince somebody of something that is untrue just that it's it's bare surface so i think that 
not only is it more ethical, but I think it's a lot more practical than Stephen Hassan's methods. Uh, though he does have some interesting things that I incorporate a little bit too. His whole thing is basically building three models in your head of the person to whom you're talking and forming those models out by asking them questions. And once you have those models fully formed, you understand what it would take to get them out and then to get to them to change their minds. And then you you ask those questions. That's pretty much it. But I'm hoping to get him on my YouTube channel sometime in April or May. And maybe we can talk about it then. Street epistemology. We'll see what happens. Yeah, so I'll tell you what. Why don't we take some guests now? I have a special guest this time. It is Objectively Dan. Um, are you there? Can you hear me? Testing? Hey, Tessa. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Doing good. Just so, uh, listening to all you, this uh, depressing talk about Heaven's Gate. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Sometimes I get into it and it's really, like, really sad, but... Uh, yeah, tell people who you are. I was on your show, I think, what, was it two days ago? I was on Truth Wanted, right? Yes. Yeah, so that's my current project right now. Um, if you want to find me on YouTube and stuff, and if you want to look up that episode where you were on, definitely go to Truth Wanted on YouTube. Um, yeah, so I do a show where I try to get in uh, new guests every single week, and we kind of do a brief little interview at the beginning, but then we go into something a little special. We have a call-in system, and it's the same call-in system that they use for Atheist Experience and Talk Heathen, if you're familiar with those shows. And so we get in, I, it's been a lot of YouTube personalities. I'm, I'm trying to get some other kinds of people and some people of other religious faiths too. I've mostly had atheists on, but um, basically we just kind of talk about what people believe and why. Um, and I you do use this method called street epistemology for a lot of my conversations with people like you were mentioning and it's just kind of a method of talking to people about their beliefs and kind of examining them without necessarily debating with them or even really telling them what you think um, or you know kind of uh, convincing them of an argument per se it's more of just giving people the options to kind of look at their beliefs in ways that they may not have considered before um, and the show is live every Friday at seven o'clock uh central time and so if you're not subscribed already you haven't checked it out i'd please go check that out that's my thing right now and uh Telltale and i also are going to be together at the faithless forum this year in dallas yeah at april 27th uh so if you are in the area or if you're thinking about going definitely check that out and i'll be there awesome yeah it's super exciting i can't wait and i'll put links to uh your stuff and then faithless forum in the description of this video if anybody wants to check that out but uh, yeah, so you uh, give me a little bit of information on your background. I, as far as I know, you met Anthony Magnabosco on the street, and he was trying out street epistemology on you, and you were like super religious at the time, and you had a friend with you who was also super religious, right? Yeah, so a little backstory on that. Um, if you don't know Anthony Magnabosco, he is a guy that's really done a lot with street epistemology uh he has his own youtube channel where he goes out on the street and he talks to people um about what they believe and why it's really interesting and i happened to run into him a few years ago uh, while i was a student leader at an evangelical uh, college christian ministry and um it was me and another friend who was also a student leader at the time and we kind of had a conversation and it was really cool and um it kind of I don't want to say that, you know, I, I never have ever said Anthony Magdamosco may be an atheist. I think that that's just objectively false. It's just not true right. at all. But he definitely steered me in a direction to think about uh, my beliefs in a new way. And that was kind of one part of a bigger journey that I had to um, come where I am now, which I now do identify as an atheist. Um, and... It was really cool because I, I messaged him a little later um, and said, hey, I kind of had this conversation with you. Here's where I'm at now if you want to talk to me about it because I don't know how many people, you know, um, come out on the other side after having conversations with you. And he said, sure. He drove over to see me. And there's a second video of me kind of talking about that experience on his channel as well. And then 
I kind of did some more collaborations with him. I got involved with the street epistemology stuff myself. And then eventually I worked out um, a thing with the ACA. That's the Atheist Community of Austin, where they film um, atheist experience and talking and stuff to get my own show on there and talk to people using this method and also just to you know, have really cool, interesting conversations um, in kind of a different way than other atheists, at least on YouTube, uh, might approach it. And yeah, that's where I'm at now. Yeah, that's really awesome. So let me ask you something. Uh, how long was it from the moment you talked to Anthony Magnabosco to the time that you kind of gave up your belief? Because I know you said that he was not, maybe he was a catalyst that kind of helped you look at it in a different way, but I figure you were probably all, already on your way out a little bit at that time, do you think? Yeah, I was, um, I was, you know, it's funny. Right when I met Anthony, I was at the cusp of questioning the things that I was believing. I was really just yeah. beginning. And Anthony did kind of, yeah, as like you said, act as a catalyst for that. Um, it, I didn't see him again until about a year and a half afterwards. So that first conversation happened in, I believe it was, was it 2015? Yeah, I think it was October of 2015. And then I didn't see talk to him again until 2017. Mm. And then now we're here in 2019 doing the new show stuff. <laughs> yeah. So kind of a quick turnaround for a lot of people. But again, I was already kind of on the way, I guess. You know, I yeah. think it also didn't help because I was really, really involved with Christian organizations. Um, I was doing camp stuff. I was doing uh, the ministry stuff. And uh, so that kind of, it, it took a lot longer, I think, also because I was kind of untangling my relationships from that. Right. How was it to try to kind of untangle those relationships? Was it difficult? Like, how did oh, your absolutely. family take it? Um to be quite honest with you, becoming an atheist, or rather the process of coming to the conclusions that I hold now, um, is probably the most one of the most emotionally difficult experiences of my life so far. Um, I come from a very Christian household. I, I grew up in the faith. I was always involved my entire life. I did the whole youth group thing. I was always warned when I got to college, don't lose the faith, you know, keep it up. And I did. I went to I joined the ministry, uh, the college ministry stuff, and became a student leader for that. I was leading Bible studies. I was, like I said, doing the church camp stuff as a counselor and a manager and stuff, too. Right. And um, I knew so many people through that. And my whole life was built around that in a way. And when you start to lose your faith like that, when you start to lose, you know, the narrative structure in your life that gives you purpose, it's like, well, what do you do now? Yeah. You know, and so there was a definitely a few months that, you know, even longer than that, where, to be honest, I was just, I was so lost. I didn't know what to do. Um, I did the, I didn't know about the atheist community, really. I didn't have, I didn't know the people that I knew now. I was just some guy who just kind of lost his faith, you know, and where I lived in particular, I didn't have a whole lot of options for groups. In fact, when I um, when I transferred from the college where I was at to move back to my hometown, I was desperately looking on the internet for groups I could join up with. And there really weren't any, um, except for one, which I eventually found it. That was the secular student Alliance at Baylor university. I didn't even go to Baylor. What was, just, what is Baylor? That's not a religious one, is it? It is. It is. A uh, there's university. an SSA there. Yeah. So a funny story. They're not officially recognized at okay. Baylor for being an SSA. They kind of have to meet informally, oh, uh, which provides some interesting challenges because they can't actually advertise on campus and stuff. And so it's all word of mouth. I joke it's kind of like an underground church, kind of like in the early Christian days where we meet at people's houses. That's stuff. awesome. Um, but yeah, so that th that was like a solid group of friends for me for, me for a long time. Um, and then eventually I got more plugged in on the internet and stuff. And I started volunteering as a call screener down at the ACA. So literally, I would just drive to Austin, which from where I was living was an hour and a half drive on the weekends every weekend, just so I could hang out with more people that thought like me. And I would like lie to my parents. I'd tell them I was going to go to a friend's to do something else, you know, because I didn't want them to kind of figure that out. So, yeah, well, um, it's like at a certain point. <clears throat> hiding who you are will just eat you up inside you have to 
just you will be who you are at any cost almost yeah for sure i mean like i couldn't go back even if i tried no i i actually i really did try to stay um as much as i could i i actually thought i was going to be one of those kind of um like liberal christians almost mm. you know like the social gospel kind of christian yeah uh, that was gonna be you know like eventually like an advocate for like lgbt stuff and things like that you know but i couldn't i just couldn't keep it all together you know it eventually the whole narrative just fell apart for me and uh, suddenly i couldn't relate to these people at all they were talking about these experiences and they were talking about um you know these things in their life that i just couldn't relate to anymore you know like when somebody said god spoke to them or god did this like that it just didn't mean anything it almost made me. you cringe a little bit it does me anyways yeah I, that, there was that too and you know it's funny because i did feel embarrassed for a little bit um i do feel i actually feel <laughs> i feel embarrassed being a part of the atheist community sometimes to be quite honest with you but right uh, <laughs> you know but it's um uh, you have to i mean it, it is what it is now you know yep. I, I can't just go back unless I am presented with something that's going to convince me otherwise. And of course I have to be open to them, but yep. Yeah. I I know I've been saying for a long time that this is a one way street. There is no going back with, you know, I'm not going to become Jehovah's witness again. It's just not happening. I've, I've looked the facts in the face and there's just no denying what I've seen at this point. Right. Yeah. I mean like, uh, you know, you come to the point, and I know you've experienced this, where it's like you talk to the average believer, and I'm just at the point where I just know more than the average Christian does about all yeah. of this stuff. And that's like that's not degrading anybody. That I'm not calling anybody stupid for that. I just I just put a lot of time and effort into. It. Um, of course, there's going to be you know apologists and real serious scholars you can have conversations with, and that's fine. I I, I encourage those conversations, but. It's at the point where it's like you talk to somebody and they tell you some thing that they've heard, some apologetic they've heard from a pastor one time, and you know that you've heard it a million times at this point because you've seen five other atheists on YouTube debunk it. And it's yeah. like, you know, <laughs> you, just, you just feel discouraged at that point because it's like, look, I, I, went, I went on this journey. I wish I could show you what that's like. I wish I could... Uh, give you the experiences I've had, but I can't do that. You know, you have to do that on your own. I can guide you a little bit. I can <laughs> plant little seeds, you know, but th- that's pretty much it. That's uh, yep. like you were kind of saying earlier, there's an ethical component to that. And I wouldn't want anybody to change their beliefs just because I think they're wrong. Right. I want right. to, I, you have to convince them otherwise. Right. Yeah. You're exactly right on that. Well, I appreciate you coming on and talking to me. It's been super interesting, been an interesting conversation. And uh, one more time, like, where can people find you? you? You said you have a thing on Truth Wanted. That's the yeah. YouTube channel, right? Yeah. So, like, you can find Objectively Dan. I have a channel for that. I, don't, I haven't been uploading stuff on there, really. Um, my main project right now, my main squeeze is Truth Wanted. That's on YouTube. And I'm pretty big on Twitter, um, at Objectively Dan, if you want to follow me there. Um, so definitely check that out. And like I said, I'll be at Faithless Forum too. Oh, and uh, yeah, go check out Telltale's video that we did uh, this week. I liked our episode. It went pretty long. It was actually the longest one we've done so far. But uh, we had some really good calls. I And uh, we talked a lot about cults and things like that. So go check that out. Yeah, yeah. And again, thanks for coming on and talking to me. It's been awesome. I will talk to you next time, okay? All right. See you later. All right. Yeah, I I really liked the episode, too. Usually I don't like doing, like, exceptionally long... Let's see how many times I can fit the word like into a sentence. Usually I don't like fitting exceptionally... Or doing exceptionally long podcasts. I don't like doing that, typically. But that was an awesome show. I had a really good time doing that. It was a really interesting interview. And then the calls afterward were exceptional. Sometimes it's hard to... You know, I only have an hour to do my podcast, typically. I can't afford to do more than an hour because I have to do the editing for it and everything else. If I go over, then I have to pay for that. It isn't just five minutes that I have to work extra. It's a lot of extra time doing extra metadata and thumbnails and editing and everything else. But sometimes it's really nice to sit down and talk to a guest for a good amount of time. 15, 20, 30 minutes at a time. It's really nice to just be able to sit there 
and not have to, you know, worry about time. Just sit there and talk it through with them and, and hash things out, talk about their lives and things. Um, I just wish that I could find a way to extend, like, the guest spot on this podcast. But I don't know. We'll see. Maybe one of these days. Anyway, yeah, I appreciate you coming on, Dan. That was really interesting stuff. Uh, stay tuned to see clips on the podcast channel. Next person on the list is Fetus Deletus. Are you there? Hello. How's it going? Can me? Yes. Good. How are you? Can. Not bad. So uh, we've never spoken before on here, have we? Uh, not on here, but I was on um, uh, the podcast that you and Dan were talking about. Oh, oh, you, oh, you were. Okay. Uh, what was your call-in name? Do you want to say? Uh, Max. Oh, hey, how's it going? Awesome. Good. How are you? Not too bad. <laughs> so, You're actually talking about my uh, question today. So. Right. So I feel like, if I remember correctly, there was a question that you had that you didn't get to get to or something. Is that right? Um. Yeah. Um. It was um. Oh, well, oh yeah. It was um. Do uh, religious uh, leaders um. <laughs> how many I'm just gonna finish a sentence. I know. Yeah. All right. I do the same thing. <laughs> Don't feel bad. Yeah. Uh, how many uh? Okay. Oh, do religious uh? Oh my God. Leaders. Uh, I do the same to... thing. Don't feel bad. I do the <laughs> I same do... shit. I uh, do religious leaders try to convince uh, their cult or religious people to vote for certain people in elections and do you think mm. it might be a problem right yeah that's an interesting question actually i have seen a lot of that from very specific cults so for example mormonism is pretty heavy into politics i don't know that i'd say that they specifically tell their people who to vote for but they do encourage people to vote on the slightly more conservative side. Of course, from my yeah. understanding, BYU does have like a democratic branch or whatever. But anyways, yeah, I mean, generally, the, what is it? There's also the like PragerU ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. PragerU is pretty. And it, God, don't get me started on PragerU. They're an yeah, interesting I've seen beast. their advertisements everywhere. Oh, yeah. They advertise on my channel, too. Like, or from my understanding, they used to. At the very least. I, yeah, I've only seen them on your channel a lot. Oh, they I must feel like I me. have. See them? Yeah, I don't think they. I don't think your content is up to their liking. I used to debunk them a lot. Like I, I've done a few videos where I debunked PragerU, and that that's around the time they were advertising for me. Actually, let me just ask you: like, what religion did you come from originally? Are you still religious, or? Oh uh, no, I was never uh, religious. So you kind of grew up atheist, I guess? Like, were your parents not really religious? What was that all about? My, uh, my mom is Catholic-ish, but, uh, yeah, my dad's atheist, and mm. I've kind of taken after that. We don't go to church or anything. Never mm. have. Your mom is kind of Catholic-y, huh? So what was it that kind of got you into this corner of YouTube? What got you interested in this content? Um, well, I'm, I've always been pretty interested in politics, and so while I was watching videos on that, I saw a couple of your videos come up, and so I watched those, and I enjoyed that, and then I got into that corner of YouTube. That's awesome. Politics, huh? Yeah, politics. <laughs> like, what kind of politics? I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Um, yeah, my dad, <laughs> my dad's really into politics as well, so mm. he kind of talked to me about it, and we... Like, had conversations and debates about that and uh yeah just uh mostly about uh what's it called uh, well just like the elect for like which the elections or stuff like that oh, okay so you you're saying you talk to your dad about the elections and stuff like that yeah got you so you don't have to say if you don't want but i'm kind of curious a little bit where do you fall politically where where are your political leanings? Um, democratic, but I do see some faults. Mm. The kind of liberal. Sure, uh, sure. Do you do you have an example yeah. of like one of the ways in which you would prefer to where you think you agree more with conservatism than liberalism? I can't really think of them right now. Okay, I'm that's sorry. fine. No, no, that's fine. 
I feel like in a lot of ways, liberals can be over, like overly sensitive. Oh yeah, the, yeah. There's certainly yeah, that that's aspect. one of the problems, which I feel kind of yeah. I know that a lot of the time liberals talk about social safety nets and things like that, and I'm all for social safety nets. But mm-hmm. there is a limit. There is a line somewhere where I feel like. You know, I don't know where it is, but I feel like we need to find that line. I think that less regulation is probably ideal, but but regulation's unavoidable, and we shouldn't be afraid of it if we need to use it, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree with you at that point. That's one of the things where I kind of fall in the middle. I Mm -hmm. think that we should expand certain social safety nets. Like, we should expand Medicaid... And we should expand food stamps and things and see if we can maybe weed out some corruption and and that would help a lot. But I think gerrymandering. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 That's a big problem. I think another yeah. thing I'd like to see is I'd like to see the military kind of like downsized down. a lot. Yeah, it's massive. Do. We do not need all of this. I feel like it was it's kind of a power show and I feel yeah. like it's affecting economy yeah, yeah, um, yeah and it's yeah it's unneeded at some point it's not like we're having i mean we have more wars than i guess the average country would you say oh yeah we have a but, lot more but most of the time a lot of times i feel very unneeded and it was just yeah. a result of uh, corrupt politicians or mistakes i th- i would like to clarify a little bit i think we have more wars than the average first or second world country i'll say that yeah but definitely but anyway yeah been really interesting conversation was there anything else you wanted to cover before i move on to another guest uh thanks for having me all right well thank you for coming on and talking to me it's been really cool and also thank you for coming on truth wanted that was awesome uh thank you to everybody for coming on there and talking to me really really cool discussions um there's another um. I should make another um compilation. I've got a whole bunch. Okay, I'll, I'll make an um compilation, and I'll put some likes in there and some you knows in there. I say those words entirely too often. Uh, it's a problem. But uh, there is one person, one one more person I wanted to get to. Let's see. Shu J. Mon. Are you there? Can you hear me? Oh, hi. hi. Hey, hey, how's it going? Yeah, um, I'm good. What about you, Telfer? Not too bad. So we haven't spoken on here before, have we? No, no, we we have not. Although I see a little on Messenger a while back, honestly, I don't. Oh, that's cool. Really? Okay. So tell me, what religion were you originally? Are you still religious, or? Um, no, I'm not religious. Although I used, I think I used to be vaguely Catholic as a kid. Really? Okay. Yeah, but um. The um, my biggest link to religion, you'd say, is probably my grandmother. She's a Jehovah's Witness, and really, yeah. And it, it, there's a bit of weird parts to it. Like, for example, my my father is a terrible witness. I would be a terrible witness. I I've sp- spoken to her multiple times about my distaste for um, God and the Bible and such. Yet she, you know, we haven't cut contact. She, we still talk. Um. And that's kind of weird when when you say, I mean. So she still talks to you, is what you were saying, or she doesn't talk yep. to you? Yeah, she 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 does talk to me. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, that's really interesting because I and, would think uh, that she'd be like hesitant to talk to you if she knew your mm-hmm. stances, right? Right. But, yeah. Do you think that there are many, many different people in different congregations and such? Because that could explain it, right? We don't yeah. come from the same ones. There is a lot of <laughs> unity between Jehovah's Witnesses and congregations. They're, that's kind of their thing, is unity among them. Mm-hmm. So they're really, really unified there. But there are some congregations that I've heard kind of break from the fold yeah. a little bit. Like they... Kind because of, with, yeah, without that bubble uh, kind of um, way of thinking where you create a bubble around Jehovah's Witnesses, but my grandmother has none of that. Her her two sons are not Jehovah's Witnesses. They aren't even baptized. Her husband is a Catholic. Really? Yeah, so does yeah. she go to meetings? Or Yeah, yeah, she does She does go to meetings. I mean, she, um, 
instead of going to meetings, you you kind of call the church and you oh, have you them. call in and and listen yep. into the yeah. I don't know that there's yeah, a name she, for it, I, or I they didn't have one when I was in it. They just call it calling in, I guess. So that's yeah, what she does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's but, interesting. Mm-hmm. I've actually heard of a lot of Kingdom Halls lately installing cameras and live streaming the meetings. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Actually, somebody emailed me a link and a code to watch the meetings live. I haven't done it yet, but it seems like a pretty cool experience, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, imagine, so, uh, say imagine you know, um, the, those people that crash Joe's Witnesses meetings. Imagine uh-huh, someone yeah. crashed that in live. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> Usually they like to get it on recording when they do. So there will be like some cell phone recording of it, but mm-hmm. I bet we could get some interesting angles of it from that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you I, how do you feel about the Kingdom Hall crashing stuff? Usually I say it's pr- it's not helpful typically. Yeah, yeah, um I mean, I very much agree with you on it. I mean, it, as an ex Joe's witness witness someone who feels ostracized by the, the whole society must feel very relieving to go there and speak your mind and force them to, to break their bubbles even for half a second but yeah the question if it if it really helps if people are going to listen to you and that's well i don't know if they do listen or not yeah I, the, i've seen video of it and usually mm. what you see is people physically covering their yeah. ears it's really yeah, sad I mean, to see them do that kind of thing they're just so afraid of hearing opposing information mm. Yeah, but it is the middle of a church the right moment for them? It, yeah. Is it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I've spoken to my to, to, to my grandmother about God multiple times. I've right. spoken to her about evolution or else my understanding of evolution at that time. But um, God's power, yet um, like no interve- intervention policy-ish on, on, on earth after the Bible times and quotation, quotation marks, you know. Right. God, God doesn't, yeah, but, you know, it It doesn't seem that a bubble is breaking there. It still seems like the, there's this still a bit of, um, you know, 1984. Yes, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. What you're talking about is like that mask that they wear almost, mm-hmm. right? It's like this yeah. fake identity, this this fake smile that they have, and it's like impossible mm-hmm. to crack that sometimes. Yeah, this this like lead mask that surrounds the yes. head. Like you cannot. Yeah. Um. In I I I read it in French, and it's all and it it's called um. Arrêt du crime, where you stop thinking about crime-ish thoughts, and it's very interesting. I love that book. What's it called? 1984. Oh, 1984. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wasn't sure that's the book we were talking about. Yeah, that was a good book, actually. Um, yeah. I haven't yeah. read it in a long time, though. It's been, like, years. Mm. I should probably read it again. So, sorry if I kind of tend to ramble a bit. Oh, no, no, you're good, you're good. It, it's... Mm. Nice to have conversations sometimes where, you know, I can just yeah. let the guests talk and I talk. I don't have to worry about, like... But do, do, do you think that for members that have been there for years... Yeah. Do you think that there is a breaking of that bubble? Do you think you can kind of make them see past it? Do you think yeah. It's yeah, that's, that's the problem, isn't it, is getting through that bubble. I think mm-hmm. that... Yeah, I think that you can get through the bubble no matter how long they've been in it. I think it's possible to crack it. It's just so difficult. Mm. It just it takes a lot of time and work and and energy, you know. Mm. You know, my, my my friend is extremely religious, but we're best friends, and sometimes when religion comes on, there are some serious fights and insults going there because, well, uh it's it's not very subtle. I, I, you know, we talk about religions. I speak about how how you know there are some some inconsistencies, and he refuses to see it. And it's it, it's very awkward because I, you know, it's it's a bit insulting to him, and I understand that. And you know, I kind of feel bad for hurting his feelings. You know, um, to to talk them into. Not atheism, but agnosticity. Is that agnosticism? How, yeah, it's not, sorry. So to talk, uh, to to create that doubt, you have to go a little bit subtle, subtle. So there's, 
so it doesn't automatically trigger some sort of that that lead bubble effect yeah yeah it it doesn't trigger them to kind of shut down and Mm -hmm. stop listening is that what you're getting at yeah for sure yeah i definitely agree it's really hard to do and that's why in street epistemology as i was talking about earlier that's the thing that i use to work with people who are trying to change their mind uh Mm. that's why i i always word things in a really non-confrontational way i say if Mm. you're right i want to be right too let's figure out together how we can determine if this is the right thing or not you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that kind of helps people keep their guard down if you will and more willing to listen and they don't think that you're out to get them instantly the moment that their guard goes up you've lost your chance so yeah because they're just going to shut down and try to consolidate their feelings yeah 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 so it's really difficult it's like wading through like I don't know. It's like walking through a minefield sometimes, trying to mm-hmm. figure out how to have these conversations with people. Yeah, no, it, it's super fun to talk to you about religious. Uh, religion yeah, yeah, it's been pretty cool. And actually, I am gonna have to move on because it is. Uh, it's actually past ten. Ten or two. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on and talking to me. Yeah, it has been Thank super you. interesting. We'll talk again one of these days, okay? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, it's been really cool. That was pretty on point, too. You're right about, like, the masks and or the bubble that you're talking about and how it's it's challenging to keep people from just locking into their position like that. Anyway, yeah, appreciate you guys coming on. Been a super interesting podcast. Really glad I had everybody. Glad I had Objectively Dan and Fetus Deletus and Shu Jamon. I think that's how you say it. I appreciate you guys coming on and talking to me. It's been awesome. And I will talk to you next week.